for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Howdy, howdy. I'm Jamil Zanishef. We're here uh, doing Brew Strong. My co-host, John Palmer. Hey, everybody. Kind of our uh, encyclopedic uh, beer brewing geeky guy. Yes, don't get him started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't get John started, man. He may he may get excited, and we don't want that to happen. And today, uh, sharing the studios with us in the uh, in the uh, guest host is uh, my good friend, uh, Jason Petros. How you doing? Also known as JP. That's also, me. And I'm not sure if you are the unicorn or the rainbow. I never quite figured that out. I think I'm the rainbow. Well, actually, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. right. Yeah. I, I thought I heard you referenced uh, in the locker room as, you know, the unicorn. And, uh, you know, yeah. I figured that was you. Because I make people happy, I guess, is what, the, what they're talking about. I think it was just the eunuch part. The eunuch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Jason, uh, it's, it's great to have you here. JP, uh, yeah. uh, great to have you here. And you, uh, you do... Uh, the Sunday session mm-hmm. also on the Brewing Network That's and right. uh, a show that shall remain nameless. You do that one too. And, Thank you uh, very much. You do a whole bunch of stuff and uh, yeah. a quite an uh, accomplished brewer as well. So yeah. uh, it's you great know. to have you here in the uh, studio with maybe, us. Maybe not accomplished in the winner's circle, but uh, you know, I think for, for drinkable beers and, and getting beers, beer into bottles. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and beers that I like, I like to think I do. I okay. can get beer into a glass. <laughs> Pretty much. I do good. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice beer. Uh, today, today, today. Yeah, uh, you know, you know. On the way in, I was uh, flipping through my cell phone list of phone numbers, and uh, that's illegal now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. It's you not. Busted. You can actually look through. You can do all that. You just can't hold it to your head and talk. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, I was uh, flipping through, looking for your phone number. I was going to call you, John, and uh, tell you where I was at, and and we could chat before the show. But I came across Daniela's phone number in the list, and I was thinking, oh, Daniela, oh, yeah. And it reminded me of the time that uh, Daniela, Justin, and I, we drove out to uh, the GABF out in uh, my old beater van, and we we uh, kind of took this little little interesting tour. And uh, the the greatest thing about traveling with Justin and Daniela was that. Anytime there was a brew pub or something that we came across, we could stop there. There's no, there, there was nobody in the car saying, no, 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 no. We, we can't be stopping. It was just like, oh, yeah, sure, well, let's stop and check it out. And it was just wonderful. It was absolutely one of the greatest road trips I've ever, I've ever had because I, I, just, I just loved, you know, and then when we stopped, it wasn't just me, you know, saying, ah, you know, let's check out these beers. It was everybody saying, all yeah. right, you know, well, let's see what we got here. That must be nice. Oh, it was fantastic. We we decided to uh, cut down through Utah and uh, go to, um, oh, uh, what is it, Arches, Arches National Monument or Park, whatever, which is absolutely beautiful. And uh, we're, we're on our way down there, and we're some little back road, and we see these big billboards, I mean, huge billboards for this uh, brew pub that we'd never heard of before. And it's uh, apparently not far off the freeway and coming up, and, you know, it's got, like, award-winning beer and all this. I'm like, hey, you know. Sounds I could, good. I could, I could use a pint, you know, yeah. no no big deal. Yeah. And uh, uh, so uh, we keep seeing these signs, and finally we pull over, we 
find this place. Doesn't look too great, you know, a little little kind of roadside shack out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we go in to have some beer, and there's a bunch of locals in there, and they, they kind of give us a look. You know, we walk up, and and uh, we start ordering, uh, you know, from their craft beer menu. I think I had a robust porter, and uh, just I'm not sure what he had, and maybe like a pale ale or a red or something like that. And Danielle got something, or uh, and uh, and when we ordered these things, it should have been a clue to us. I know that everyone in that place gave us a really weird look at that time. They're like, you know, they're all drinking really clear looking beer. Yeah. <laughs> We're ordering these things, and they look at us like, uh, let's see what's going on. And uh, come to pass, they were absolutely horrible. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> horrible. And uh, I had Justin talked to him a bit about uh, what the, you know, where, you know, where the beer was coming from or whatever. And it was, uh, what they say? They were, they were not, uh, not brewing it anymore or what, what was the deal? Yeah, we asked, where do you brew this? Who brews it? Oh, we don't brew it anymore. So our next question, of course, was, oh, so where does it come from? (laughs) Do you remember the answer? (laughs) Like a big truck brings it. The answer was the answer was Budweiser. Budweiser. Yeah, they said, but and so no, we actually had to figure out. We went, wait, Budweiser? No, I've had their craft beer, and even that's not this bad. Yeah. So we figured out it was that the Budweiser truck comes. It's the distributor. Yeah. And drops off this beer. (laughs) Is bad beer. It was bad, and I'm not sure. You know, it was maybe that bad from the brewery, but maybe in that little pocket of Utah. The people don't drink anything other than uh, you know the mass mass market lagers, and so maybe it stays hooked up for <laughs> several months at a time until until the billboards pull in some crazy straggler and uh, you know, they, yeah. you know the, the beer rotting in the lines goes into the glass. She tried to sell me her brew system. Really, the same woman <laughs> when we asked, they don't brew here anymore. She goes, "But we got this brew system here in the back. You want to see it? It's for sale." She sounded like Uncle Jesse from yeah. Dukes of Hazzard. Yes, and we went and looked, and it was just. It was awful. Like, not even on discount would you want this thing. But she was really pushing it. Like, really? Because you could put it right in your van. It fit right there in the van. That's <laughs> yeah. bad. Speaking of billboards, have you guys, I heard about the new uh, Gordon Biersch billboard uh, in the city. No, I haven't. It's, uh, it's Dan Gordon laying on his side. And I don't know if his shirt is off or not. But he's laying down a la Jameel Pose for the More Beer Catalog <laughs> yeah, a few years hey, ago. Yeah, hey, he's copying my, my pose. And he has a, a glass of beer or a bottle of beer. And he says, uh, beer for, was it, beer for beer drinkers who look like me. And Dan, he's just, as, he's a big, he has a big he, guy. He's a load. It's great. What a great, you know, common denominator, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, no hot chicks. No, you know, twenty-year-old college kids with their hair all messed up. Just some big old dude. Yeah. Well, and know? at this place again, no hot chicks and 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 the lady behind the bar. You know, when I'm when I'm walking up and ordering this porter, you know, she kind of paused for a moment. She licked her tooth <laughs> and then said, "Okay, you know, put it back in her pocket and said, all right, <laughs> all right.' <laughs> yeah." But, it, you know, uh, great fun times. And and actually, everywhere else we stopped, I don't think we had a bad beer at all. I mean, we had some really good beers. I mean, we had a couple that were, you know, just good. And then we had some that were excellent. Well, you went to Squatters, and right? Went to Squatters. We stopped in Reno to start with at uh, Silver Peak. And did we go to... Did we end up stopping at uh, Great Basin as well? No. Uh, that was our second that trip. That was our second trip, yeah. Where we had a really good time there, too. And yeah. Then, uh, squatters. Moab. And, 
Well, Moab we went Brewing? to Arches. We went to Moab Brewing Company, and that's the one that was really impressive to us because right. of the super low gravity beers. Yeah, but so well done. And the uh, and the brewer was really kind. Took yeah. good care of us there. I can't remember his name. Um, but apparently he listened to Brewing Network stuff, so he, he knew who we were. Good. We he, he didn't say that, but um, we were we spent the night there, a, a couple hours interviewing him. And then we all went home. And I went back in the next day because I forgot something. And he co- the brewer comes up to me and says, hey, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to be that guy, but... I'm a big fan of Jamil. I read all of his articles and I listen to the show. I didn't want to like be a big nerd, but can you just tell Jamil it was a real pleasure to meet him? You know, and here we were real stoked to meet this guy because yeah. he's a good brewer. He pulls me aside and says, "Just thank Jamil for me." He's a good dude. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, I think everybody we met was great. We met a brewer at Squatters. We met uh, you know at Silver Peak at uh, uh, and what was uh, gosh what was the one in. Uh, Utah as well. Um, Uinta. Uinta. They, they were nice as well. And uh, you know, everywhere we went, it was just fantastic. So I have really fond memories of that trip. And uh, just just all the things went with it. It was one of the great beer experiences for me. And I'll say, you know, it was the people. It was Justin and Daniela. It made it uh, a real special trip for me. If I had done it by myself, it wouldn't have been nearly as wonderful. And most people would have just turned me away. But, you know, <laughs> you whip out Daniela yeah, on the road, much. there you go. You know, everybody's like, hey, uh, <laughs> come on in. Ah, well, enough of the idle chit-chat. Today, yeah. we are talking about attenuation. I get, I, in preparation for the show, I flip through my emails. And if you have a question for Bruce Strong, uh, you can email brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And uh, all your questions will come in, and we'll consider them for future shows. And if it's something that seems like it needs an immediate answer, then uh, John and I will jump on that and get you an answer uh, you know, fairly quick. That's right. But uh, we uh, take our show ideas and the shows that we put together from actual emails from people and the, the questions and concerns that you have about uh, some of the aspects of brewing, technical and not so technical, but uh, you know how to make your brew better. How to become a better brewer? How to brew strong? That's what this show is about, and that's uh, what we'll be covering in it. That's right. <laughs> Man, many words. Yes, well, you know. but they're quality words. You say it so well. So yeah, that's what right. can I do? <laughs> he just likes to agree with me. That's that's why that's why he's the the co-host. You give, see, give me another quarter. All these Justin. all these other people. Palmer's I, that guy in Run DMC who just says like every fourth word. Right. <laughs> <laughs> More brewing up beer. <laughs> Yeah, you know, see, you know, with police say, he would argue with me. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I got, the, I, I got the guy who agrees with me. So. Can't buck the system. There you go. You know, all those troublemakers. <laughs> I'm going easy on you for now. Although, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> feeling you out. We hope to have police say here as our as our uh, guest host as well. So uh, it'd be great to have him. I, uh, I love him. He's, he's great. He does a great job. Yeah, today we're talking about attenuation. And uh, we... Uh, Actually, got uh, an, an, an even more impressive guest host than JP. Hard to imagine. Uh, yeah, but, I can't uh, even imagine. We were able to uh, get uh, our, our good friend uh, Chris White. Oh, that's right. To uh, uh, Justin, uh, got him on the phone and uh, asked him about attenuation. He asked him to define attenuation for us. Right. That's right. Attenuation is the percentage of sugars or carbohydrates that yeast consume during fermentation 
So if you had a starting gravity of 1050, 1.050, and it fermented down to 1.000, or 1, then that would be 100% attenuation, which you do get in, in most wines, red wines, but in beer, the carbohydrates are more complex. So the yeast do not consume all of the sugars. Some of the sugars are unfermentable, and you're left with some residual carbohydrates. So the final gravities in beer tend to be 1010 to 1015, and you have attenuation ranges that are generally 70 to 80%. So the actual percentage that that individual fermentation goes to varies on a lot of factors. It depends on uh, the way that the uh, sugars are made available in, in the mashing. So a brewer that's doing a full-grain, all-grain beer has more control over the fermentable carbohydrates by the mash temperature. A lower mash temperature, you tend to have more fermentable carbohydrates. Higher mash temperature, you generally, um, since you inactivate the enzymes a little faster, you have more unfermentable sugars. So a brewer has a little bit of control there, and then each yeast strain has a different genetic code for metabolism that results in different uh, levels of fermentability. For example, some yeast strains can ferment maltotriose better than others. That's three glucose units put together. Maltose is two. So California ale yeast, for example, is drier, has, a, uh, has more attenuation than English ale yeast in, in the same wort um, because the California ale yeast is better at fermenting some of these more complex carbohydrates. So if you take the same wort, you use California ale yeast, you might get an attenuation of 70-75%, and English ale yeast maybe 65 to 70%. So not more sweetness left in the beer. Usually these aren't sweet-tasting carbohydrates, but more body. All right, so that's Chris White from White Labs. I, I neglected to mention that he's from White Labs, one of the uh, finest uh, producers of uh, liquid uh, brewing yeast cultures. And, uh, you know, they got a great array of products. Yeah, Chris is, uh, you know, a brilliant guy. And, uh, you know, as you can tell, he donates his time to uh, help the homebrewers out. So I think that's really cool. Yep, it's good to have him on. So right. his yeasts are available all over the world. Yep. And yep. Uh, so I imagine a lot of our audience is familiar with them. Good stuff. All right, so uh, when we when we come back from break, what we'll be doing is uh, our resident uh, beer encyclopedia here, John Palmer, will get into uh, a more in-depth technical discussion of uh, attenuation. We'll be right back. Brew right. Brew smart. Brew strong. This is Brew Strong. What's good for the earth, good for your body, and great for your brew? Organic Ingredients. This October, the Organic Ingredient Experts Seven Bridges Co-op in awesome Santa Cruz, California, hosts the second annual Organic Home Brew Challenge. All ingredients must be organic. Entries will be accepted September 1st through October 10th. Judging October 19th will be followed by an organic Oktoberfest for all participants, customers, and guests at Gordon Biersch Brewery and Restaurant in downtown San Jose, including a specially brewed Gordon Biersch Organic 
beer. For more information, contest rules, and guidelines, visit breworganic.com slash competition. And if you're looking for organic ingredients, Seven Bridges offers a huge selection of USDA-certified kits and raw ingredients. From 8 ounces to 50-pound sacks of grain, whole and pellet hops, and all the equipment you'll need, Seven Bridges, the organic homebrew experts since 1997. Visit www.breworganic.com and enter the 2008 Organic Homebrew Challenge. What have you gotten out of a vial of White Labs yeast? WLP 001, Cal Ale, baby. 23, Burton Ale. 008, East Coast Ale. Cal Common, WLP 810. It's going to be WLP 400 with beer. I got a sweet hoodie for my vial. Huh? White Labs, your source for great brewer's yeast, would like to invite all homebrewers to join the White Labs Customer Club. Redeem your empty vials for great White Labs merchandise and products. Free yeast, glassware, t-shirts, baseball caps, sweatshirts, polo shirts, and you won't believe what you'll get for 5,000 vials. Members also receive a newsletter packed with White Labs updates and facts, interviews with professional brewers, brew your own clone recipes, beercook.com recipes, and customer club stories. The White Labs Customer Club. Save your vials and get in the club. White Labs, it's all in the vial. Did you know that every day a brewcaster goes to bed hungry? Did you know that that brewcaster is silently calling for the help of people just like you? Do you know that every day the unicorn and the rainbow have to blow sailors for loose change? For less than the cost of a half-calf, quad-shot, venti, extra-hot, soy milk, triple-pump, hazel, low-fat foam, double-cupped macchiato a day, you can help starving adults in Pacheco. Your love can be felt for as little as 7 cents a day. Visit thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate to sign up today for as little as $2 a month. Private first class in the BN Army. Buy your way up the ranks as corporal, sergeant, ranger, or colonel with an easy-to-do monthly donation that keeps brewcasters alive and your favorite internet radio station broadcasting. No donation is too small to help those in need. Can't you find it in your heart to share your love with a brewcaster? In return, you will enjoy the wealth of knowledge that comes with every episode of the session. The Jamil Show and Yes even that other show. Thank you for listening, and please sign up for your donation at thebrewingnetwork.com slash donate today. This Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to The Brewing Network. Back to your hosts, Jamil Zanashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. And uh, I know it shows my, my, my still wet behind the ears innocence, but I just love the production on all the Bruin Network stuff. <laughs> it's of the highest quality. Great. It's always it's, good you know, when, when someone with a, with a deep, serious voice says testicles, and it's not your doctor. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or you don't feel that hand cupping you. Yeah. yeah. That's why I always have a female physician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we were oh, talking about. Oh yeah, I got another story related to that in the physical I had, but ah, oh. I don't want to get into that right now. Thank you. Yeah, we're talking about attenuation, <laughs> and uh, and we just heard from Chris White, kind of giving us a definition of attenuation, kind of highlighting some of the things that that affect attenuation. 
So, John, you know, can you go a little bit more in depth as to what uh, affects attenuation? What are the things that uh, the my, my control? Yeah, if I brew a batch of beer, what things can I do, or you know, what what things should I be aware of that control attenuation? Sure. Well, you know, I guess first off, we should differentiate between uh, true attenuation and apparent attenuation. As brewers, we talk about about apparent attenuation. It's um, and as Chris said, it's you know it's the OG minus the FG divided by the OG. You know, ten fifty minus your final gravity, say ten ten, and then divided by your OG. So, if you went from ten fifty to ten ten, that's uh, forty. Forty divided by the original fifty comes out to eighty uh, percent, and that's apparent attenuation. The true attenuation is little is less because alcohol has a lower gravity than water, and so. If you get you know if you get really technical about it, then uh, your true true attenuation is, is different. But uh, we, we you know as brewers we always talk about parent attenuation, and uh, you know there's two ways to affect it. There's your brewing processes, you know your grain bill, uh, the the gravity of the beer you're brewing, you know the composition of the wort, uh, the fermentability of the wort, and then there's the the fermentation itself, where when you get into uh, you know fermentation factors, your pitching rate. Uh, the nutrients that are available to the yeast, including an oxygen, oxygen and the oxygen levels that you have. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors that we can use to influence the attenuation in our beers. Well, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times, uh, everybody, when they say attenuation, they're thinking, um, you know, how do I get my beer to ferment to a low enough final gravity. Yeah, they want it dry. There, there's a case. Uh, actually, I got a few emails from people saying, um, you know, my beer attenuates too much. You know, what's going on there? And mm-hmm. and so all these factors that you mentioned, they they would apply as well to uh, uh, getting too low an attenuation when you want something with a lot of body left over, like a like a Scottish Light sixty, where you don't want the thing to be ferment out to nothing and seem like water. Right? That's right. That's right. How about you, JP? Have you, you know, when when you're brewing, yeah. do you normally hit, you know, have a, a predicted attenuation that you're reaching, or is it, you know, what what tastes right to you, or or what? You know, honestly, I've never really paid attention to attenuation. Uh, I'm very much more concerned about the recipe formulation. For me, that's the fun part. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, drinking it, you know. Right. But um, I, I've I've always done pretty well, you know. And I'm, I'm kind of one of those brewers that likes to pick his battles. And mm-hmm. I'm not worried so much if I finish at a ten fourteen and I should be about a ten twelve or something like that. Right. Um, I've just never done it um, for no real reason. I because I just like I did like looking at the recipe. Mm-hmm. And every time I try to rebrew it to get a lower gravity, um, you know, I work around you know sixty plus grains or however many we have at the shop and more beer. And uh, I just I get sidetracked and I just brew something else entirely. So I've never really. Um, focused on that so much. Right. You generally brew session beers, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely do that, and and, and I don't have. I have. I guess I haven't had a problem to really to solve. Uh, I guess thinking about it is really my answer. Well, and I think the the part of the point you're making that I've made to a couple of people is. If the beer tastes good, yeah. who cares what the number is? Right, right. Isn't that really what matters? Because sometimes, you know, the attenuation you get is really, and you know, if the beer tastes great and it attenuating a couple more points or a couple less points, you know, wouldn't make it better. 
then apparently you, you hit the right attenuation. Yeah, I mean, rarely am I going to get... Every once in a while I've gotten something that'll that'll end in the low 20s or the high teens. It's just a mistake, mm-hmm. and it very rarely happens. It's not a, um, a repeatable issue for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm not that overly concerned. I, um, you know, I guess I, I grew up right, as you, you know, you could say. Whereas I had people teach me the right way the first time mm-hmm. to no. to really do stuff. And like a lot of guys, a lot of older brewers have have learned four different ways since coming. You know, doing it the way that most people do it now. Now, for your brewing, do you do mostly extract or mostly all grain brews? Mostly all grain. Okay, so you're controlling the fermentability of your wort in your brewing, and as you're brewing these session beers. Yeah, yeah, I like uh, I like uh, a low mash temp. Okay, and that that accentuates the fermentability by you know mashing at lower temperatures, mm-hmm. close to, you know one forty five up to one fifty one fifty two. You're accentuating the the beta amylase, which produces maltose, the most fermentable sugar, mm-hmm. over the higher sugars like maltotriose, which which Chris mentioned. Yeah. And uh, and some of the higher sh- dextrins also. So that's probably why I haven't really had that much. That's why you haven't had an issue, and okay. and, and that complements the style of beers. Yeah. All right. Before we get too deep into it, uh, you know, I got a couple of questions that are kind of more of the basics here. And and Don wrote in and he asked, uh, uh, "How do you calculate final gravity from original gravity and attenuation percentages?" He says, "I should be able to figure this out, but I'm not feeling well at the moment." So <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, that that goes back to what I said earlier. the uh, The equation for parent attenuation is your original gravity, like ten fifty, uh, mi- minus your final gravity, like ten ten, divided by your fi- by your original gravity again, ten fifty. So it's uh, fifty minus ten forty, divided by fifty, and forty over fifty is eighty percent. Or you know, if you're looking at a, a yeast packet. That says its attenu- apparent attenuation is eighty uh, percent or seventy five percent. Then you can then you can take that percentage and and um, compare that to the original gravity of the beer that you intend to brew. And let's say you're you're brewing a, a ten forty or ten fifty five beer. Apply that seventy five percent to you know ten fifty, and uh, you'll get your uh, you get your final gravity estimate. Well, and uh, you know, one one guy had a question about uh, in the book. Uh, he said uh, maybe I missed it somewhere in your book when you're where you described it. But I noticed, and he's talking about brewing classic styles, which is a book uh, John and I uh, wrote together. So I noticed in your recipes you have something abbreviated as ADF and a percentage behind it. I've never seen that abbreviation. I'm not sure what it is. I'm assuming it has something to do with attenuation, but I'm not sure. Can you clarify what that stands for? And that stands for apparent degree of fermentation you, you and you talked about the apparent degree of fermentation versus the the real uh, the true right the true, the true attenuation which takes into account the the alcohol right mm-hmm. which the is, actual density of alcohol being lighter than water mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so yeah the the true attenuation is always higher than the apparent attenuation and i got another email from uh damon and he was saying uh, one thing that's tripping me up is attenuation your ADF for your best bitter recipe is 73%, while it's 70% for your oatmeal stout recipe. The reason I noticed is because I'm planning on brewing the stout on top of the best bitter yeast cake when it is done. I also noticed in beer tools that the yeast strain gives a range of attenuation, not a specific number. Mm. Okay, In the book, we give a specific number, and he's getting a range in beer tools and also on the, the Y-Yeast website, on the White Labs website, on uh, Dan Starr's website. They all give a range of attenuation, right? 
Uh, he says, obviously, the attenuation is a primary determinant of the final gravity, so in order to hit the final gravity with accuracy, I need to strive for your appropriate ADF, which is different for each beer. So my question is, what is the primary determinant of the degree to which a yeast strain will attenuate within its range of attenuation? I'm going to guess it has something to do either with the temperature of the mash, uh, 151 degrees versus 154 degrees, and or the temperature of the fermentation, although both of these recipes suggest shooting for 68 degrees uh, Fahrenheit for, for fermentation. So what's the primary determinant on, on, on that? Well, there, there's there's several. And uh, w- one big difference between is, is the two styles of beer. We're talking oatmeal stout versus you know bitter. Um, there are more unfermentables in the oatmeal stout grain bill. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, so recipe plays a big part. If you have right. a lot of crystal malt in there, uh, crystal malt, uh, especially the darker the crystal malt, tends not to attenuate quite as well, right? It, right. Won't, it won't ferment as well. Those sugars uh, remain uh, as they are uh, throughout the process and don't ferment. So the more of that you put in there, it's not going to ferment. That's Same right. thing with uh, a lot of other uh, ingredients that you might have, right? That's right. Yeah, there, you know. The, the numbers the yeast companies give out, I mean, that's based off a standard wort, you know, right. maybe like a pale malt only. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's... But standard wort, standard temperature, you know, it's, it's standard pitching standard, rate. standard pitching rates, uh, standard uh, fermentation temperature. They, they keep all that the same. Same phase of the moon. And then uh, they give you a range <laughs> around that. And, you know, if you're making a, a, a beer with a higher original gravity... And, you know, attenuation is a certain percentage. The percentage can actually drop off in a beer with a higher uh, starting right. gravity. When the alcohol gets past a, a certain point, generally about 5%, it's a, a lot rougher on the yeast. Yeah, so you, you to get the same apparent attenuation in a higher gravity beer that you do in a lower gravity beer, you would need to pitch more yeast. Mm-hmm. And you would need to make sure that you have optimum conditions for the fermentation of those yeast to really get that same number out because it's... It's going to be a less less efficient process, you know, mm-hmm. which the much higher gravity, more stress on the yeast. So, so those numbers, those percentages are, uh, you think, like laboratory conditions? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, laboratory conditions and, and right. ballparks, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, uh, against an average wort. Yeah. Because again, if you have a wort that's uh, you know made more of maltose above you know, average with uh, with yeah. uh, with uh, <laughs> you know a, a simpler sugar. Less complex sugars that should attenuate a bit more than something with a uh, oh Jesus John what, what, was, was that a, a furball you're coughing up uh, I thought that was biscuit <laughs> oh well, I mean, it might have been a dog she's she's laying down between blaming on chair so. blaming on the dog <laughs> yes I blame everything on John uh, so. Um, you know, and if you have something with, uh, with uh, you know, a lot of uh, complex sugars, a higher mash temperature or, or an extract, this also affects extract brewers, right? Because mm-hmm. the extract that you use, some of them will be made uh, with, uh, you know, more fermentable sugars. Some will be made with more uh, complex sugars, like the Laglander uh, extract is, is right. very well known as one that doesn't ferment very well because... It uh, has a lot of complex sugars in it, uh, carbohydrates in it. A lot, a lot so of the a lot of the European extracts, like Lagerlander, you know, they were made to uh, for kitten kilo brewers. You know, made to be diluted with a couple pounds of sucrose. You know, plain white table sugar. So they intentionally brewed them to a higher dextrin content, so they wouldn't have as much fermentability because they said, okay, people are going to mix this. You know, with an additional two pounds of uh, cane sugar, which ferments out completely, and uh, that's going to bring the gra- to- final gravity down. Whereas uh, other other extract manufacturers like uh, Breeze Malting, 
the extracts they put out, they brew them to, you know, brew a 100% extract beer with no added sugar. So those extracts are are brewed for good fermentability. Hmm. Well, Mason, he uh, emailed me and he said, uh, Hey, Pope, I'm having a problem with the fermentability of the liquid malt extract I'm getting, specifically the pills. I've never tried extracting enzymes before, but I'm going to try making the Dortmunder export from the book, and I was hoping for some trips, tips to get most out of my process. Do I dissolve the LME in the six gallons of water, then steep some two-row at 149 for the same amount of time? How long? I don't know. Also, I uh, can no longer get Munich extract, so I was going to try and steep maybe four pounds of Munich grain to replace the three pounds of extract. And he says, uh, also, uh, you know, so, so he's worried about the fermentability of his liquid malt extract. Uh, and he also goes on to say, I made a Roquefort 8 clone, uh, OG at 1090, and it finished at 1044 with the pills extract. It was undrinkably sweet, cloying, a total waste. Uh, and, you know, here's the thing on that. Um, you know, it may not be the extract. It may be processed. Yeah. Right. You have to make sure you're pitching enough healthy yeast, providing enough oxygen, uh, and you know, carefully keep the ferment, the temperature while fermenting steady or warmer. This is the thing that I think a lot of people miss: is that when they're fermenting, um, you know, they put their fermenter in some place that they believe will keep the beer cool. They don't want it to get too hot. You know, you don't want a lot of hot alcohols, things like that. So they'll put it in some cool area of the home or the garage or the basement. And it'll, it'll tend to be cooler than the fermentation temperature. And the yeast get going, and then it starts raging, and it gets hot, or they'll put it somewhere to keep it cool so it doesn't get out of control. Well, what happens is, overnight, it tends the temperature tends to drop a little bit more, and it has a more of a cooling effect. Uh, that can slow down the yeast, uh, make the yeast start to drop out, or, uh, you know, various factors like that. The swing in temperature can yeah. actually hurt your attenuation as well it, it it may be at the right temperature generally but if you have a swing of several degrees uh you know it's really going to wreak havoc on the yeast and you're you're going to have trouble reaching your final attenuation it's going to cause especially towards the end of, of fermentation when the yeast are just you know getting those last sugars in if it gets cold overnight they'll tend to just stop flocculate you're yeah. you're done and uh, it and won't for brewers up. too eager to bottle you know too eager to taste it they may just bottle too soon and uh you know, when it's not done, it could have used another week. So, is there a is there a way to to um, maybe check like if it, like Mason if he thinks it's his extract, and he's brewing a Dortmunder a couple times and it's not coming out right, is there something he would do? Maybe just take a pound and dissolve it in water and put some dry yeast in there just to see how far it goes down and go. Okay, yeah, uh, do it's a not the forced fermentation. That's yeah. an excellent suggestion. Yeah, yeah. take take a, a a real fresh packet of dry yeast. Mm-hmm. And do like a one-pound batch, a one-gallon batch, and uh, let's and see how that uh, how that extract ferments ferments out. All right, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more tips like that, like uh, JP just came up with on uh, getting the right attenuation. We'll be back after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Sean O'Sullivan, the brewmaster and co-founder of the 21st Amendment Brewery and Restaurant in San Francisco. Six years ago, Nico Freccia and I opened the 21st Amendment on 2nd Street with the intent of bringing back the local neighborhood brew pub. Well, the neighborhood has really changed over the years, but the 21st Amendment still remains a great place for people to meet over a terrific meal and a tasty pint of beer. In the past, the only way you could enjoy the 21st Amendment's handcrafted beers was at the brew pub. Well, all that has changed. Now, the 21st Amendment beers are available in cans. That's right, cans. When was the last time you had a great beer in a can? Well, that day has come. We're offering our world-famous watermelon wheat and 21A IPA in cans. Cans are a better package than glass because cans keep the beer fresher longer, but you can also take cans to places where bottles can't go, like the beach, lake, golf courses, and sporting events. So join us in the revolution to take back the can from the big breweries and crack open a cold 21A craft beer in a can. The 21st Amendment, 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giant. Park. <laughs> oh, crap! It's the hop shortage! He's in the basement! Oh, please! My triple decocted Imperial Pilsner! It's all gone. We'll never brew again. Damn this hop shortage! Damn it to hell! What's is los? Hop shortage? Who are you guys? Ich bin Doppelbach! Ich bin Kölsch. Und ich bin Münchener Helles. We don't need a lot of hops to be delectable. Now brew something! Malzi! Use less hops, brew more beer. Northern Brewer has kits and ingredients for dozens of worldwide beer styles that don't require a lot of hops to make a great pint, like the cool blonde Kolsch or the ponderously bottom-heavy Doppelbach. Keep drinking great beer. Order at northernbrewer.com and get flat rate $7.99 shipping anywhere in the contiguous U.S. One beer kit, $7.99 shipping. One million beer kits, $7.99 shipping. Together we can beat this hop shortage. Mm Mm-hmm. Now get blowing! Live! Beer Radio! The Brewing Network! The Brewcasters! If you're just starting, don't be discouraged by all this stuff. It's yeah. so easy. Just throw it yeah. together. Dude. Put some yeah, sugar and some water and some yeast in there. Yeah. The Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. Oh, you gotta love it. <laughs> you gotta love it, huh? Yeah. Uh, and the show, a crow thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the show, a crow thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's Ooh. show, a crow, you know. And Kate Winslet, too. He was big. He was, he was, he was, uh, yeah. Dang. He was all over there for a little bit. Uh, it might make the nut thing worthwhile. <laughs> Apparently, oh, no. yeah. Kate, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson, that's oh, what it is. Yeah, Kate yes. Hudson. So you got Tom Green doing Drew Barrymore. He has one nut. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is the one. And then nut she thing. dropped him for Jason Justin Long, and then <laughs> then she broke up with Justin all right, Long. So, all right, oh, so wait a minute. I, I got to tell a story. I had this, this guy I worked with uh, many years ago got nut cancer, right? And so they went. What they'll do is they'll put in a prosthesis. prosthesis thesis if you want easy for you to say a fake a fake nut right they make it out of like some high-tech thing that probably 3m makes you know no it's like a hard thing and it's a you know some sort of like you know like a like a billiard ball type of thing and they put it in some high-tech plastic 
And uh, they, they obviously try and match up the sizes because, you know, you don't want one like a cantaloupe and one like a grape. Yeah. And uh, and he was telling me, he's like, small? Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was telling me uh, that uh, it was great. You know, everything was fine. His health was back to normal. And, uh, you know, he was okay on his testosterone and all this. He said, the one problem is, you know, you go in the hot tub, he says, you know, that, that thing would absorb an immense amount oh. of heat. And then he says, afterwards, you'd be out, and like 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, it's like, you know, you got this really hot nut going on. <laughs> a little hot <laughs> potato there, huh? <laughs> it would just be one of the most annoying things. And it would be very uncomfortable to have like one glowing, hot, 105-degree nut next to your regular body temperature nut. It's fine when the whole body's immersed, but you right. know, afterwards, it's a little bit concerning. It's a little bit of an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know what that has to do with attenuation. But that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how... Give, give me a couple of minutes, I'll come up with something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there will be a link uh, coming up here soon. But the, the, the thing is, um, you know, how... The attenuation is how much your beer ferments. And sometimes, uh, you know, for a given recipe, you want more, you want a little less. Uh, it depends. And, and uh, you know, going you know, back why, to that one why that is, email is, you had where he was talking about uh, maybe adding his extract to a, to a mini mash to try to get, to get it more fermentable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's that can be done, and right. uh, they make diastatic malt ec- malt extracts mm-hmm. that allow you to do that. Right, you could you could actually just uh, get your extract, uh, warm it up to a reasonable temperature, thin it out, and you can drop in some beano or any other uh, enzyme that'll break down those those carbohydrates. Let that sit for a certain amount of time. I don't know what the amount of time is. I don't know what the dosage is because I haven't really experimented with that a lot. But you can do that. Let that sit for a little bit and then heat it up. It denatures the enzymes and that process stops. So you can actually control uh, how much that will happen. And you could do this with also uh, just some, some extra grain. You could put a pound of... Uh, uh, you know, just two row malt in there mm-hmm. and crush it up. You know, hold it at, at uh, a given mash temperature, 150 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, for half an hour or so, and it should, uh, yeah, you know, break, uh, break down. down break down those 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 remaining sugars. So of course, you can do it what's way. you know what what what's key in doing that is you know hitting the mash temperatures because mm-hmm. you want you want to hit right around 150 mm-hmm. uh, to 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 accentuate the beta amylase. Right. Same Although, with the, the Munich malt, too. That's you're, You may want... He mentioned Munich malt as uh-huh. one of the things he considered steeping. Well, steeping is one thing. You get flavors out. But if you want if you want actual conversion and, and sacrification and, and enzymatic breakdown of these larger sugars into more fermentable sugars, then you got to be you know aware of that mash temperature. Well, and I think that, that's an excellent point. I think it's, it's uh, very true. I, the thing I want to emphasize to the listeners is... Mash temperature isn't that critical as far as the the overall picture goes. I mean, you know, if I was at 150 uh, Fahrenheit, yeah. John, or if if I was at 149 Fahrenheit or 151 Fahrenheit, if it was in side by side and everything else was so precisely controlled that there was no difference, I imagine that 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 uh, I could detect a difference between those beers yeah. in a in a blind. And, I, and I'm I'm talking about like but, 120 versus 180. Right. Right, you but uh, yeah, but uh, you know, 150 versus 155 or 156, you're going to see a, a dramatic difference. But you know, if you're off a degree or two, don't sweat it, don't freak out. It'll mm-hmm. be okay. There's, you know, that's that's not a problem. The the beer, like uh, JP was saying, you know, it's it's not that critical if you're exactly at the right uh, uh, apparent attenuation. It's more important what the beer tastes like. And at the end, mm-hmm. it's going to be a subtle difference if you're a degree or two off in your mash temperature. In in our in our book, you're, when you talk about the ADF or apparent attenuation, you're talking about 
that particular recipe when you brewed it with your yeast and your pitching rate, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's right. 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 And, you know, it's all those factors are, are in there. And I got a question from Tom. He emailed, he said, I've heard you mention now several times during your podcasts on matching your recipe to match attenuation. Could you explain that to me? Not sure about how uh, going to achieve that. And... uh his email, so I said, well, Tom, that's a big subject. I'm not going to answer it in the email. <laughs> um, generally, what you need to do is, in recipe formulation, you, you're balancing the perception of sweet and bitter, right? Both in the main taste of the beer and in the finish. The big part of that attenuation of the beer, as that, a uh, uh, big part of that is the attenuation of the beer. Is that's going to affect the amount and type of residual sugars. Uh, there are many factors in the final gravity, including the amount and type, especially grains, mash temp, yeast strain, and you got to balance all those when you're making your recipe. You're, you know, uh, you, you know, when you choose a yeast, especially, uh, and you see that one yeast has a range that t- seems to be a little more attenuative than uh, another given strain that might have, you know, a similar flavor profile. Uh, people often ask, well, you know, why would I use one over the other? It's like, well. Uh, you know, if you need more attenuation, uh, yeah, choose the one that attenuates a little bit more. Yeah, because they're you know different strains. Yep. Yeah, you, you know, looking at your malt bill, if uh, you can get, I guess, if you're trying to build body, that's which is kind of the opposite of uh, going for attenuation. You can do it by your malt selection, or you can do it by your yeast selection too. So you're not going to be able to, you know, if you have a beer that you want to start at, you know, ten sixty five. And you want it to finish at ten ten. You're not going to use like English ale because it's right. pretty hard to get that high attenuation, right? That's yeah. That's right. That's a low attenuating yeast strain. Okay. You know, sixty five, seventy two percent. You're going to want something more like cat ale, which mm-hmm. is you know closer to eighty percent. Well, and uh, Brad uh, he he emailed me. He said, "Hey Jay Z, I've got two English ale yeasts on hand." Uh, the 1098 British Ale from Y Yeast and Nottingham Ale from White Labs. Could you suggest which styles work best with these yeasts? And I answered him back. I said the 1098 attenuates well, so you'd want to find English styles that need that attenuation. Perhaps a barley wine or, or a bigger stout, right? That's right. Or, or even a dry stout where you want it to dry out. Uh, Nottingham, that's somewhat middle of the road, and you can use that in a number of different English styles, uh, you know, bitters, porters. But, uh, again, you want to look at your recipe, look at your, uh, your um, you know, original gravity and how much you want that to dry out to get the proper balance between your hops, your residual sugars, the rest of the malts, all those flavors going on, and, you know, what you want to achieve. When you're doing something like, a, uh, you know, an imperial IPA, you want that thing pretty dry, so you need a, a lot of attenuation. But it's a simple recipe. You're doing something like a barley wine, you want a, a fair amount of attenuation, you want to leave some behind that's right. you know, some some sugars behind in that um but a lot of that's achieved through the recipe through the malts mm-hmm. so you could use the same yeast for american barley wine and imperial ipa one is going to finish probably uh 10 to 15 points drier and it's based really on uh your recipe and you know your mash temperature or you know the extract that you're using yeah and maybe we should just emphasize that that is uh white labs nottingham strain as opposed, which is a liquid yeast, as opposed to Nottingham, the, the dry, dry strain right, from right. Uh, uh, Danstar. Danstar, right, 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 which is which is actually yeah. a high attenuating yeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you, of course, you can use uh, you know dry yeast for these as well. All right, here's one from uh, Andrew in Australia. And uh, John Palmer and I were going out to Australia. Yes, we're oh, you guys are going. Yeah. We're going to be there for the uh, National uh, Australian Homebrewers Conference. Great. 
and uh, we're both going to speak there and uh, hang out and enjoy the uh, hospitality of yep. the uh, our brothers down under. I've been go. practicing. Okay. Good day, Sheila. Good day, Sheila. I've been eating shrimp off the barbecue, but uh, <laughs> apparently that has nothing to do with yeah. Australia. And I've been watching a lot of uh, you know down under beer commercials too on yeah. YouTube. Right. Big oh, fan of Yahoo Serious. I'm a big fan of uh, a big fan of uh, Australian movies. I love Australian films. I love Crocodile them. Dundee was the great. He, that was an Australian film. Yeah, yeah, you no, know, yeah. That's the dish. No, I, I that's love, one of my favorite. Movies. I, I love I love Australian films. The Australian filmmakers have a, a sense of of humor throughout everything, no matter how serious the movie and. Ah, just fantastic. Uh, he says, uh, well, let me get back on the topic here. <laughs> when I began all grain brewing, I experienced, like a lot of people, under attenuation of mo- in most of my beers. Yeah. Then I began making yeast starters and achieved better results, although still not ideal. Uh, I, I tried to combat the slight underrotation. I dropped my mash temperatures from 67C to 66C and even tried 65.5C. And then he, you know, increases stars from there. He says, now the results I've been getting when repitching and nice big stars are fantastic in terms of the beer, but now I have a slight over-attenuation issue. Typically, I experience 80-plus degrees of attenuation with Y-East 1056 and other strains, including Y-East 2001 in my pills, uh, including some results up to 84 degrees, or 84% attenuation. Wow. Uh, 80, 84%. That's, that's high, right? Yeah. I feel it's less of an issue than under attenuation, but it's not optimal. In short, my question is whether or not these sorts of attenuation rates are actually possible with just my pitching rates using your pitching rate calculator, or is it more likely I've just, uh, have my yeast dialed in and need to go back and consider my mash temperature temperatures again. All right. And again, like we're saying, there's a lot of factors in there. Uh, you know, the amount of yeast you pitch, uh, you know, the amount of oxygen you add, the uh, you know temperature you ferment at and the wort composition those are probably all the the the, the prime ones pH of the wort makes a yeah. big difference and when we talk about wort composition it's not just the uh, the carbohydrates but uh, pH because you, you you if your pH is off you can end up with uh, the yeast not fermenting uh, very well with any of the right the, the I think it's sugars. really it's hard to over, you can't really overshoot with uh, with yeast factors uh, all you can do is practically is is get as good as you can get mm-hmm. in terms of attenuation with you know, yeast pitching rate and yeast nutrition and temperature um so if he's getting 84 percent i think we do need to look at uh, you know brewing factors mash, recipe mash factor. temperature again mash temperature right. recipe okay. factors yeah and here's another one from brad he said uh uh, I have been plagued by low final gravities on my beers. I know this is not exactly a bad thing. They aren't turning out overly sweet and cloying. I, you know, again, if it tastes great, then then don't worry about it. I would like to know why this is happening so I can adjust it when it does not suit the beer style. And here's the thing. He says, so I always get a 10-10 final gravity regardless of mash temperature. This is also regardless of style, he says. No, regardless of recipe, he's always getting 10-10, which... Ah, uh, you know, they're, I think they're all kind of, you know, mid-range session beers. So, you know, I, I, I got to oh, okay. question that. But he says, I just brewed a Scottish Ale, and he's talking to a, a Wee Heavy, and mashed at 160 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and he still got 1010. He said, a compl- culprit, I think, is my mash ton. I'm brewing five-gallon batches at a 100-quart cooler. He thinks it's losing temperature too fast. And he says, you know, uh, on one hand, I'm getting good attenuation. On the other, everything's drying out too much. When he wants to make something like a barley wine or something like that, he's not getting enough uh, residuals left over. The thing I told him was, you know, I wonder if it couldn't be like a wild yeast. If he's getting the same oh, wild yeah. yeast in all his beers That's from, true. you know, environmentally, that could be a problem. So I told him, uh, you know, cap some up, keep it warm, 
uh, you, know, he, you know, and a lot of times people will drink stuff before these problems really out themselves. That's right. You know, hold on to a couple of bottles of this. Keep it warm on the on the counter in the 70 to 80 degree range for, you know, a couple of months. If it gets even drier and it's dry and fizzy and gushing, you know it's a wild yeast problem. That's what's pulling down your, your, your final uh, temperature there. Yeah. And so... Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to take another short break, and when we come back, we're going to get to questions from the chat room. We've got Sounds live listeners. They're, they're, they're ready to uh, pick our brains, and we're ready to uh, fill them in. I'm ready. We'll be back right after this. Brew right. Brew smart. Brew strong. This is Brew Strong. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. And the new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the more beer deal of the day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. Attention homebrew shop owners. At Fermentap, they know you're tired of buying the same old gear that everyone else has. That's why Fermentap offers the newest and most cutting-edge brewing equipment known to man. Since 1998, Fermentap has been leading the fight against the boring and mundane by offering strange, unique, and just plain smart equipment. Like their stainless stone false bottoms. Never deal with the floating plastic hassle of other false bottoms again. And since they're made from stainless steel, they'll last a lifetime. Fermentap's line of copper wort chillers are the best on the market, designed to cool your wort faster and more efficiently than other immersion chillers. They actually invented the equipment to make these chillers not only work great, but look great too. How about a fantastic line of ingredients including vanilla beans, sorghum extract, blue agave extract, hot bitterness extract, unique wine yeast, green coffee beans, sake kits, all stuff you can't find anywhere else. Fermentap carries all the standard products and equipment you need as well, such as all grain systems, stainless hardware, kettles, carbonation stones, you name it, they've got it. Fermentap's entire line of products has been helping retail shops meet the demands of their customers for nearly 10 years, and they want to help you too. For more information, see them on the web at fermentap.com or call Jason at 1-800-942-2750. Fermentap, better beer through innovation. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. 
Can I tell you, I just love our new show. I do too. I'm just, I'm so excited about this. I think it's, I think it's great. I want to do our uh, drops ne- uh, over again for the other show after hearing all these good ideas. <laughs> it is now the, the best produced show on the BN. <laughs> still, still won't, still won't make that that show. Uh, well, I, yeah. I was thinking we just play all the drops and not even talk on it. <laughs> yeah, there you go, over and over again. Yeah, just come up with all sorts of humorous ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd like to, I'd like to do a bunch of classic radio ones. You know. The Shadow or <laughs> Lone Ranger, Star Trek. Except for that nut thing, yes. Yeah. Except for that Absolutely. nut thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, our next show coming up, uh, if you're live listeners, stick with us, and you're going to get uh, a show on Wood Age Beers, and our, our own Jason Petros is a bit of an expert on, on that. And uh, if you're listening on the archives, it's going to be about two weeks between shows. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, if you're, if you're hankering for uh, a double dose of your... Uh, your rock candy, then uh, you're going to get that on uh, on only live listening, and so you want to you want to check out thebrewingnetwork.com. That's when you'll you'll see when they're going to be live, and uh, you also uh, don't forget to email uh, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com, and you can uh, ask us questions there. You can even find uh, I'm not sure if we still have any in the in the uh, store, but you can get Brew Strong shirts in the uh, Brewing Network store. Sold out in twelve hours. Oh, sold out in twelve hours. Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, more on order already. My my buddy from Thunder Chicken Brewery uh, out in Texas. He uh, he emailed me. Said I got my Bruce Strong shirt. Ah! <laughs> Bruce Very Strong cool. and uh, right right there, right at your coattails, were the shirts for that other show. <laughs> also sold. They sold out in thirteen hours. I think. <laughs> Hopefully you guys won't have the uh, same result in uh, listenership. Well, you know, I think I think I think <laughs> we're right behind you. Well, I think that the difference is when you have that other show, the people who are listening, they don't have like families or you know a home to live in that they have to Morals. pay for. Yeah, what is it like a like so any, wreck hour in the yard? Any any <laughs> they yeah, can get any, out and listen. Any income they have is completely disposable. So uh, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter. It's playing in the subways, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Homeless shelter. Actually, I'm a big fan of the show. I listen all the time. I, you know, not not that anybody, uh, you know, thinks that's a good thing, but uh, no, I love it. I, I think it's very entertaining. And if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, tough luck. Good, yeah. To, <laughs> I'm not going to worry about. it. I don't want to be accused or sued for you know steering you down the wrong path. All right, so we got a lot of people listening live, even though it was short notice. And yeah. uh, Justin, we're getting a bunch of. Uh, uh, questions in uh, from the, the listeners? A lot of questions. People are excited about the show. First question, John Palmer, if a train leaves from Pacheco traveling... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's 120? Just how, yeah, that's just how smart you are. What's People the attenuation? Are, <laughs> yeah, what's its apparent attenuation? Six. All right, good. <laughs> now, uh, a lot of questions. Uh, I think this is a common one you get. Uh, you certainly got it in some of your emails. If a beer finishes too high, uh, what then? Is there something we can do to fix it? And you had mentioned uh, a Beano process. Right. Well, well, a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, you, if if you're sure that the yeast cannot uh, attenuate it down, if, if the, the sugars in there are a lot of complex sugars, you went overboard in your recipe and put in way too much crystal malt and all that, and, and the, no yeast is going to eat it, then you would try and break it down with something like Beano. The problem with using Beano... Uh, you know, after you've boiled the wort, is that uh, it's going to keep going. It's not going to stop. You put Beano in there, it's going to keep going, you know, quite a ways, and you yeah. may end up too dry. The, it's an amylase-type enzyme. Right, so you want heat to denature it. So if you do this prior to the boil and experiment with that, when you boil it, it denatures those enzymes, and, you know, you've kind of locked in your, your uh, uh, fermentability of the wort. The thing that a lot of people uh, in the past on the uh, the internet and you know, homebrew lore was, oh, just throw more yeast in there, right? 
if you just throw more yeast into a beer that's already attenuated, uh, you know, a good percentage of the way, it's got alcohol in it, and the sugars are low, and the remaining sugars are complex sugars, you're not going to do anything. It may get another point. What you need to do is make yourself a starter, even if you're using dry yeast. Normally, I don't recommend a starter with dry yeast, but... Uh, whatever use you're doing, you're going to want to get it actively fermenting. You want to get it kind of, you know, high croissant. You want you want the, the yeast raging and, and fermenting. And then you pour that whole thing into your beer, right? So a small start. It can be, you know, with a tube of White Labs or a package of Y yeast, you could use a pint. You're not trying to grow yeast. You're not trying to... You just, just want put them in, active. Get them active. Get them fermenting. Then dump that in. And the actively fermenting yeast will continue to eat other sugars that are in, left behind in your beer. And that's that's the way to do it. Don't just dump packages of yeast in. I've, I've heard that, and yeah. that's horrible. Now you, now you have the option there of using the same yeast strain mm-hmm. or using a different yeast strain that has a higher attenuation also. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jennifer Talley uh, told us uh, a couple weeks back that uh, if she has trouble, you know, if she has a beer that doesn't finish quite right, finish, finishes too high, she pitches a lager yeast strain. And because lager yeast strains eat more of the multitrios, the the mm-hmm. three uh, sugar unit sugar, than ale yeast do. Chris Chris White was saying on right. uh, on his his clip, or you know, Chris gave us a, a number of clips, and unfortunately, you know, we only have an hour, so we we weren't able to play all of them. But uh, you know, Chris uh, quite knowledgeable about the yeasts and attenuation and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then maybe just to finish the same topic, uh, a comment that was made in the forum is that somebody uses a pound of six-row instead of Bino. And I didn't understand what he meant by that. Well, you know, six-row has more enzymes, but they're the same enzymes that are in two-row. Yes, higher diastatic power um, per unit weight than two-row. Really not going to make a difference using six-row or two-row because it's the same enzymes. I guess if you're trying to do a large volume of liquid, then the six-row might be more handy. A little more but, bang for your buck. But, but generally, you know, the two-row will do it. You, you could use any grain that has uh, you know, the enzymatic power to convert itself. We'll, we'll pretty much do it. Okay. And another listener in the chat room, uh, going along with another email that you got, uh, is, is having problems with too much attenuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of his beers are getting down to 1008. He's used both Cal Ale and the London Ale yeast, mm-hmm. IPAs, English Ales, doesn't matter. They're all getting down to 1008. He ferments at 65. He mashes at 154. Uh, his specific question is, is he, is he mashing too low and, and providing too many fermentables? What do you think? Well, I, I think a couple of things. Yeah. 154 on my equipment and my pitching rates and my yeast selection, my recipes, my oxygenation, all that stuff. It's not that low. Uh, it, it, it's, it should be fine. Mm-hmm. I, it shouldn't. It, that shouldn't be an issue. Uh, but you never know. You know, different systems. You know, don't be afraid to. He should kick it up. Uh, you know, four degrees Fahrenheit, two degrees C, or maybe you know, six degrees Fahrenheit, three degrees C. Go yeah. ahead, kick it up to one sixty and see what happens. To try a batch that way and see what happens, and and that'll answer your question about mash temperature. More, more likely, there's also a possibility of you know. Thermometer problems. Thermometer problems or even other measurement problems. Maybe it's, you know, the uh, the hydrometer he's using. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that could be a possibility as well, although it shouldn't always read the same. Uh, and then, again, like we mentioned with the other uh, person who wrote in, it could be that, uh, you know, you've got a wild yeast in there, and it's taken everything down to 1008, and it's, yeah. just, it's just the way it goes. And so um, the thing to do is... Uh, 
uh, you know, see if you have any sort of contamination like that, or try, you know, re-sanitize and get rid of your, your plastic bits, try over, and just pay a, a great deal of attention to uh, any possible routes or contamination. Yeah, that's right. He might try, uh, you know, leaving out uh, a sample of that beer warm mm-hmm. beyond bottling or beyond kegging and see if it goes lower. That's a good way of checking. You do a forced fermentation like we said earlier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do believe he mentioned also that he is brewing on new equipment. So you might have been right right off the bat there that he needs to just adjust some of those temps. Uh, okay, how about this question? Uh, how does pitching rate? You're always talking about a proper pitch, and you could pitch too much, you could pitch too little. How does this affect attenuation? Well, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a number of factors in there, and and the interesting thing about pitching rate is you can pitch too little, you can also pitch too much. And, you know, the the thought is, well, you know, I'll just keep pitching more and more yeast, and I'll be able, it'll attenuate out, uh, you know, appropriately. There's some truth to that, but there comes a point where if you pitch enough yeast, uh, or, you know, way too much yeast, you can get to a point where attenuation will actually start to go back down. Yeah, you'll you'll overly stress the yeast. They don't have enough resources, you know, to, to support them. Yeah, they, they become kind of lazy, or you know, it, it just and also depends on work composition. But uh, you know, if you are the thing, I recommend is uh, go to www.mrmulti.com, uh, plug for my site, and there's a free pitching rate calculator on there. And go ahead and use those numbers, and you know, start with those numbers. It may not be the exact number that you need for your brewing process and your recipes and all that you know, going in the future. But start with that and try adjusting things like the amount of oxygen, fermentation temperatures, yeast strains, wort composition. You know, at least that kind of locks you into one, uh, you know, locks down one of your parameters. Uh, you know, lock down your parameters and adjust just one and see what happens and see if you're getting better results or worse results. And once you've got that dialed in, you try another parameter. And, uh, you know, if that doesn't get you, you know, get you in the range of where you want to be, then, you know, lock that parameter down at the, at the best results you're getting and then start experimenting with another parameter. So, again, it's recipe, you know, the work composition. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, your yeast strain. It's oxygen. It's pitching rates. It's uh, fermentation temp. It's all those things. Uh, even fermenter geometry and, uh, you know, the depth of your uh, fermenter is going to uh, play a role in that as well. Yeah. Let me offer this, th- this thought, too, on... Um Pitching rates and oxygen. Um, generally, lower pitching rates are going to result in more esters than high pitching rates. High pitching rates and generally less attenuation. And generally less attenuation. That's right. So as you increase the pitching rate, you're going to come up to uh, say your optimum attenuation. If you overshoot that, you're going to you're probably not going to see it in your attenuation so much as you'll start seeing it in beer flavor. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know our, our friend Chad's had some issues with. He's been you know pitching good starters and good oxygenation, good. Um, but then he's had flavor problems. Well, and the part of the problem was you know he was getting his oxygen for free. So and I didn't realize this at first. He was getting a real hot alcohol estery uh, nail polish kind of alcohol in his beers. And you know the guy's process is is wonderful. It's flawless. The guy really knows what he's doing. He pays attention and makes some of the most beautiful beers. But he would get this hot alcohol thing in his loggers, and I'm like, you know, what's going on? You know, he's, I'm like, I checked on all the other factors, and then you know, it dawned on me since he was supplying me with oxygen <laughs> that, oh, maybe he's using too much oxygen. Sure enough, he was using like five minutes at you know ten liters. Uh, you yeah, know, I mean, really, he was really pumping it in. it in there, and you wouldn't think you could use too much oxygen, but again, you trap oxygen in the headspace of the carboy and. 
uh, you know, I I always thought it's impossible to over-oxygenate, and then I realized maybe that's it. He backed off his oxygen, problem went away. Yeah. And I've run into several other people who've experienced the exact same thing, and I tell them, hey, you know, back off on the oxygen, cut it down to, you know, give it a, a one-minute blast for, uh, you know, at, at a half liter a minute, and see see what happens. Yeah. And it tends to be enough, and uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it gets rid all, of that. All of your natural alcohol. processes are, they're not linear. They're, op- they're peaks. They go through a, an analog, optimization. Analog curves. Yeah. And so you can have too little and you can have too much. You're trying to find the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like you guys. Yeah. Sweet yeah. spots. We both have sweet spots. You want to kind of experiment later on, JP? Wow. See where they are at? Huh? All right. Huh? No comment. <laughs> Two more quick questions. One of them I have to ask, even if the guy in the chat room might just be messing with me. It's just something that I would do and let go for a long time. Uh, is it a record number of entries? Grooming? <laughs> bathing? <laughs> he says that every beer he does, every single one, finishes at 10.10. Is that possible, or is his hydrometer busted? That's his question. Every single beer, 10.10. Well, and that's, that's uh, again, I think that's the he same thing. a deeper with, hydrometer uh, jar. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. Right. I, I really, I would do that for months before realizing. Right, and it might might be, it. you know, if you're doing a recipe like you're doing a English mild, and you're doing a American barley wine, and they're both finishing at 10.10, then something weird is going on. Yeah, you know, unless the recipe is the same. Uh, you know, you know, if, you know, start experimenting with the various factors. But again, uh, you know, wild yeasts or you know, environmental temperature factors. You're letting it get way cold overnight, or you know, something along those lines. Okay. You know, beers should not all finish at the same. You know, the same general type of beers could all finish around that. Okay. But it'd be odd if everything you ever brewed finished at ten ten. Yes. Okay. It'd be pretty cool, though. Yeah. You'd be, you never have to worry. <laughs> One hell of a consistent brewer. Yeah. That's a good I got guy. consistency down, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, and the final question of the day. Uh, what is your favorite Australian movie of all time, JC? Do you have one? Oh, God. You know, there's so <laughs> many great ones. We have some Aussies in the chat room, yeah, so... What was what was the one I just saw? Oh, God. And I was thinking about mentioning it, but I, I can't remember now. I don't know. You know, Welcome to Whoop Whoop. Um, was it Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? <laughs> Priscilla, Queen of the Desert is excellent. I thought that was excellent. I really did. Okay. Um, uh, you know, of course I, you do. I, I watch them all. If I if I can get them here in the states, I I watch them. I love them. <laughs> They're really well done. All right, that's it from the chat room. Take it away, fellas. Oh, you don't want to know my uh, no. my favorite one? Okay. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I only speak for the chat, not hey, for ourselves. You're waving that that iPhone around the uh, the equipment. You're giving us uh, noise. Oh. So, so put that away and pay attention. Jesus, I, I thought that that only happened on the session. Now I know what you got to deal with. I was yeah. I was the, looking you, up my favorite the backhand. Is that what you want me to do? I was looking at my favorite movie. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's uh, mine's the dish. In case anyone wondered. <laughs> Uh, and that was the one where they did the uh, they were doing the radio telescope thing, or yeah, 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 the yeah. Apollo mission. Yeah, 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 that was excellent too. I love that one too. Yeah, Australian movies just wonderful. You guys, gonna knit a, 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 a blanket later on and watch Australian movies or what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're gonna spoon. Yeah. I get to be the big spoon. And uh, other than that, uh, yeah, we're gonna watch Australian movies. Uh, so uh, let's kind of recap uh, attenuation. Why don't you recap it for us t- today? Uh, John? Okay. Attenuation equals original gravity minus final gravity divided by original gravity, and it's the uh, it's the fermentation of the sugars, percentage of fermentations of the sugars in the wort. 
Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and the, the things to look out for, there, you've got several factors that control it. Your, your word composition. Right. The the amount of yeast you pitch, the strain of yeast you pitch, the uh, oxygen that you, you provide or don't provide, and, uh, you know, health of yeast uh, makes mm-hmm. a big factor as well, and um, uh, temperature of fermentation, and even the depth of, of your fermenter as far as... Yeah. Uh, Although you know, that doesn't tend to be a big factor Tends to be minor. Tends to be minor. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, any back pressure you might have as well. So uh, those are the factors to look out for, and, uh, you know, try adjusting them one at a time, and, and you should be able to get Then look out for contamination, wild yeast, bacteria, things like that will, will draw down your attenuation much further. Yeah. If, if you're noticing that, uh, if you leave a bottle out or, you know, you, you save a sample of, of fermenting wort aside and it turns into club soda after a couple of weeks, then you've got a wild yeast problem. Right, and uh, I think uh, you know the thing to do like that is do a test and see what uh, kind of uh, flavors you get after a certain amount of time. Or if the thing becomes gushing, then obviously you have a, a contamination right. issue going on there. All right, so don't forget, uh, you know, if you have questions for the Brew Strong Show, may email brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And while you're there at thebrewingnetwork.com, check out the store. You can find a lot of books. You find signed books by John Palmer, signed books by uh, myself as well. Jamal Zanishev, and, uh, you know, cool T-shirts, Brew Strong, Brew Network, the Hop Grenade. That's a very cool shirt and very popular. Uh, you know, be, be uh, you know, join the join the crowd and have one of those. And, uh, you know, uh, click on various things around there, and, and you'll, you'll, be, you'll be amazed at what you find at the Brewing Network. Just poke around. Yeah, and you'll find, you'll find other great shows as well. And I just wanted to mention, because a lot of people want to know, when is this show regularly going to be aired? You will find it every other Monday opposite the Jameel Show. So yep. Mondays now belong to Jameel Zanishef, and every other one is Jameel Zanishef and John Palmer. You tune in Mondays at 7 p.m., and you're either going to find Bruce Strong or an episode of the Jameel Show. And you can't go wrong with either one. I, no. I'm proud of, proud of both, both efforts. You should be. And, of it's, course, this I show will be put into iTunes as uh, as a podcast or any other program that you use. A lot of people wondering if we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And, yes, we will. It'll be just like all our other productions. Yeah. So. High quality. Good stuff. Uh, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong. <laughs>